Well, I want to welcome everyone to the 10 o'clock service of the North Richland Hills Campus of the Hills and all of you that watch online every week. Thank you for joining us again. We're in a series I've titled Adverbs because Christian is not an adjective, even though that's the way it's often used today. Christian is a noun and nouns need verbs. And we're using the book of James as a platform to search for some verbs that we need to add to our faith. So you might be turning to chapter 4. We'll be there in just a moment. But let me take a moment to not just celebrate, but illustrate what adding verbs looks like in a church family. Just thinking about the last week of our church. You know, a lot of churches kind of take the summer off. It seems like we ramp things up in the summer. So just this past week, we had teens from the West Fort Worth and North Richland Hills campus go to Little Rock for a mission trip. Right now, we have teens from the South Lake campus in Oklahoma City on a mission trip. We had people from all three campuses just get back from Haiti and another mission trip with the wonderful Live Beyond ministry down there. We also have uh, people from all three campuses leaving today for Royal Family Kids Camp. These awesome people in the Red Church are going to spend a week giving children an incredible experience at camp and learning about Jesus. Uh, we have hundreds of people in our church right now praying every day for their Muslim neighbors and friends. And I ask you to join that group. And then, of course, there was just uh, Summer Spectacular. Over 400 volunteers and participants from every single campus to tell the story of Paul. It was an amazing week. So I want to thank you for adding those verbs now, let me just remind you, as this next week comes up, that next weekend is Father's Day. And I don't believe we give as much attention to Father's Day as we do to Mother's Day. And this is a great evil in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> and I know right now I'm talking to some people who are very excited about the idea that someday you too will be a father. And so I have put together a little video to prepare you for the joy ahead when you finally become a parent. Watch this. I had to move up. I've been in this house way too long. I should move. How long have you been here? For like five years. Well, yeah, because you're five. Well. Okay, but I have to yell at you guys. You want me to help, Russ? No. Thank you. No, thank you. What do you want me to do? What about yourself? <laughs> <laughs> oh. I can't That looks like it's very heavy. I'm moving. No, you're not. You're staying. Yes, I am. Staying with your mommy. No, I am going. Okay. Okay, then what? Come do that. You drive. <laughs> Without your help, go drive. It's a girl. Yeah, it's gonna oh. be a girl. Oh. But Linda, honey, honey, look at, look at this. So it's not okay to scream. I don't. I'm not calling her dad. <laughs> Sweetie, are you okay? I'm done arguing with you. I'm done arguing with you. I know I want a girl. I hate 
Hey, you had the same reaction I did, bud. <laughs> it's all right. Listen, just because Tanner's mean to you doesn't mean that I don't love well, you. I'm moving. I'm moving. So every one of us here who have had the joy of being parents have heard the phrase, you not the boss of me. So we can argue all we want about the doctrine of original sin, but no parent is going to argue that every single person has been infected with the it's all about me virus. And the symptoms show up very early. They did for me. So I was the first uh, grandchild on my mother's side. And we had to live with my mother's parents for about nine months after I was born. So my mother's parents became very attached to me. So attached that later when we moved to Albuquerque, my grandpa and grandmother would close their Sinclair service station in Moody, Texas on Friday afternoon, drive all night to Albuquerque so they could spend Saturday with me, and then drive back on Sunday to open the station on Monday morning. They did that 36 times in three years. So I was a pretty spoiled young man. So we're at Papa's house one night, and my mom walks in with this little bundle of trouble and puts it in my Papa's lap. Now, remember, nobody had asked me about this. Nobody had sought my permission or my counsel. And now there's this new little creature getting Papa's attention. So I did what any self-respecting man would do. I walked over and I poked my new brother in the eye. And that's a metaphor for life. We deal with one disturbance of the peace after the other. I've got a suggestion this weekend, though, of how we can give peace a chance. James says, fighting is present because a very important verb is absent. The answer is the addition. Of submission. So follow along with me from James 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that He jealously longs for the Spirit He's caused to dwell in us, but He gives us more grace? That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Okay, now that's a hard text. But man, it talks about where we live. Because we're constantly in conflict. We're constantly frustrated. We're constantly having arguments with people. And when we get into those fights, we justify them by saying somebody out there or something out there is the problem. And then James comes along and says the war without always originates from the war within. Look again at verse 1 and 2. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? 
Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have. The reason we fight is because someone or something is getting in the way of what I want. The word desires is where we get the English word hedonism. You've heard of someone being hedonistic. It is a philosophy of life that says that my pleasure is my life's highest aim. That the great purpose of life is to live for what I want. And that would work. And there would be peace if I could get the rest of you to live with my flow chart. And it looks like this. But here's the problem. There are 7 billion people on earth all living with basically the same chart. We fight because we want most what we want most. Some of you have heard me tell the story. I grew up in a family of accountants. We were a very uh, ordered, structured, scheduled people. So Christmas for us was like this. We would get around the tree and we would sit in a semi-circle. We would have a sack for wrapping paper on one side of the chair because this was back before bags when you wrapped your gift like Jesus did. And on the other side of the chair, we would have a sack for the bows because accountants save bows so that you can use them next year. The youngest person would open their gift. They would put the paper in the sack for paper. They'd put the bow in the sack for bows. And then they would hold up the gift to show us so that we could all comment on what an appropriate gift that was for that particular person. Now, if there was a slight chance that it was the wrong gift or didn't fit, which was rare because we had everybody's neck size and shoe size on file. But we also had receipts in an envelope with everyone's particular name on them so that they could take it back. Then we would go to the next oldest person and we would go around the circle to the oldest person. Then we would start with the youngest person and it would take several hours to do an actually Christmas. So the very first Christmas after I'm married, we go to San Antonio for my wife's family's Christmas. There are presents up to the roof. I'm thinking, this is an eight-hour Christmas. <laughs> we go into the room after the meal to begin. Now, they're not sitting in a semicircle, but I'm not going to say anything the first year. When her mother says, one, two, three, go, and everyone just dove under the tree. And they started tearing things up and passing things around. And nobody saw what I got or told me how appropriate it was, and I could not find the bow sack. I'm walking around saying, where does my bow go? I don't know where to put my bow. And the whole thing was over in ten minutes. And that night in the guest bedroom, Jamie and I had what I call an unscheduled discussion. That was prompted by my brilliant observation. Your family doesn't do Christmas right. And what I really meant was your family doesn't do Christmas the way I want. You see, have it your way works with burgers. But it doesn't work with life. And the Prince of Peace modeled a different way. Think of the temptation narrative. After 40 days of fasting out in the desert, Satan shows up and he tempts Jesus to get what he wants. And everything he wanted was a good thing. He was hungry. He wanted to eat. He wanted people to know he was Messiah. 
He wanted to be the Lord of the earth. And Satan promised all those things. You can have what you want. But get them my way. And Jesus resisted that temptation by humbling and submitting himself to God. Not my will, but thine was not just a prayer for a moment. It was his philosophy of life. And peace is going to be missing from your life until you add this verb. Submit yourself to God and humble yourself before the Lord. And by the way, notice James puts the responsibility on you. Now, let me just say, God can humble you. You don't want Him to. You want to humble yourself. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 5. Dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, He will lift you up. In honor. So they're both saying the same thing. We must commit to submit. It's not going to happen accidentally. We must commit to submit, to add that verb to our life. Now, your version of the Bible may not have the word submit. It may just have the word humble several times. But there are two words actually in the Greek used. And I've chosen to stick with that word submit for this reason. It was actually a military Word. It was the word used for telling someone that he had gotten out of rank and he needed to get back in line. He needed to get back into his outfit under the proper authority. He needed to get back in rank. Now, here's what's going to happen in life because there are so many people wanting what they want, frustrating what you want. You're going to drift out of alignment unless you're intentional to submit is to deliberately and consistently abdicate that part of you that wants to be in charge abdicate that right to self-sovereignty and that whole it's all about me and what I want way of life and James has some suggestions for getting realigned here's the first one You submit by standing against the real enemy. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. When you don't get what you want, you want to be mad at somebody. You want to fuss or fight with somebody. A lot of fights would stop if we would focus instead on the real enemy. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians 6. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood as much as we want to think it is. And by the way, the word stand and the word resist are the exact same word. We stand against, we resist the devil when we don't let him do what he's trying to do in our lives. Start a war within us. We can resist him with the word of God just like Jesus did in the desert. We can resist Him through the blood of Christ. It says they withstood Him and they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. We resist Him by the power of the indwelling Spirit and the support of the body of Christ. 
But I really want you to listen in hard the next couple of minutes. Because when we talk a lot these days about spiritual warfare, I think we often define it way too small. For many churches, spiritual warfare is nothing more than rebuking and casting out demons and spirits. Now, I believe in demons. I believe in evil spirits. I believe there's a time to rebuke them. But spiritual warfare is so much bigger than that. Remember the context. James is talking about fighting because you're not getting what you want. This is what Satan wants. And he's going to tempt you to have that war inside. He's going to tempt you to want and to act on every desire and impulse. He's going to constantly appeal to you and tell you it is so right and it is so worth fighting to get what you want. Do you remember when Jesus says, I'm going to the cross I'm going to lay down my life for others. And Peter says, not so, Lord, which is an ultimate contradiction in terms. No, that's not what I want. That's not how I want this story to end. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. In other words, I know where that's coming from, Peter. I know where that voice is coming from. Spiritual Warfare, at its core, is the tough, hard decision to choose self-denying love over self-centered desire. Let that sink in. When you... Are tired, it's a long day at work, the game's on TV, but you know your wife doesn't feel well. And you tell her to go to bed and you go clean the kitchen and give the kids a bath. That's spiritual warfare. When you know that kid's unpopular and you risk your own reputation at school to go and sit with them at lunch, that's spiritual warfare. When you cross lines of sex and race to make a new friend. When you go witness to your co-worker when it's uncomfortable. When you give up some vacation time to go to camp or on mission trip. When you start to tithe even though the budget is tight. Every time you choose self-denying love over self-centered desire, you have engaged in spiritual warfare. Because there's two basic philosophies of life. Either my life is over yours, or my life is for yours. If you're living my life is over yours, you need realignment. If you're living my life is for yours, you're standing against the real enemy. That's part of what it means to submit. It also means staying close to God. James says you stand against the devil... And you come near to God, and God will come near to you. Because deeper intimacy with God is not something you're going to drift into. I'm going to say that again. Nobody listening to me right now is going to accidentally stumble into a closer relationship with God. 
You come close to God and God will come close to you. Well, why doesn't God come close to me first? Well, what James is saying is God wants to know, do you really want a relationship with Him or not? You ever invited somebody over and you didn't mean it? Yeah, come on by the house. You didn't mean it. They show up. You're shocked. God wants to know, do you really want a relationship with me? Because I promise I'll come. I will come into your life, but I want to know if I come, am I welcome? What are you doing to pursue deeper intimacy with God? Are you in His Word? Are you reading your Bible regularly? God loves to show up in worship. Do you passionately and regularly worship God? And do you pray? You talk to God. You might be thinking, hey, Pastor, I, I tried prayer and God never answered. Oh, yes, He did. He said no. And here's why. Look again at verse 2 and 3. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. That's not the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is to get your life aligned with God. The purpose of prayer is not to get what I want endorsed in heaven. It's to get what God wants done on earth. Didn't Jesus teach us this? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, think about it. God, if you give me what I want, will you get what you want? Is what I'm praying for right now going to bring you honor? Going to expand your kingdom? Going to make your your love and your son known? If I get what I want, will you get what you want? So I wrestled for two weeks in prayer about the story I'm about to tell you. Asking God if I could share it. And finally, I felt like God gave me an answer. I can share part of it. So when I became the preacher of this church, there was someone in this church that really, really resented that choice. It made it clear not just to me, but to other people. In fact, primarily to other people. Most of what I heard about what he was saying about me, he wasn't saying to me. He was saying to other people that would tell me. It was hurtful. And then I became aware, and I'm not going to tell you what it was or how I came to know. I became aware of something in his life that was dark and evil. And my first fleshly thought was, okay, sucker, it's my turn. You're not going to hassle me ever again. I'm going to let you know that I know what very few people know. And this battle is over and I win. And then it was like the Spirit spoke to me and said, is that what you want? Because that's not what Jesus would do. Do you want to win so much you're willing to lose intimacy with me? And I realized I didn't. I realized I'd rather have him continue doing what he was doing than lose my relationship to God. There is no 
fight worth winning if you have to lose intimacy with God. The more God comes close, the more I begin to realize there's stuff in me that I need to be focusing on. And that's the last part of what it means to submit. You start to clean your heart. So James closes with some really strong verbs. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. Grieve and change. In other words, it's not enough just to regret all the junk inside that makes me fight. It's time to remove it. You can't fall back into rank if you're not going to deal with the rank stuff that the Holy Spirit has exposed in your heart. This is why tax collectors and prostitutes were entering the kingdom when Jesus preached. And self-righteous religious people weren't. Because they were not willing to have exposed the dark stuff in their life that needed to come out. You see, the, the problem with submitting is admitting. Admitting I'm not in line. Admitting i got some junk in my heart. Admitting I fight so much because I'm a lot more self-absorbed than I want to admit. Brene Brown popular author and speaker, says there was a crisis in her life that caused her to return to church. She said, the church can help the pain go away, like an epidural, you know. I'll just replace research with church, and the church will make the pain go away. She said, I got into church, and I found out the church is not like an epidural. The church is like a midwife saying, push, it's supposed to hurt. And I love that picture. I think it's right on. We get together as church and together we address our junk and we don't escape the struggle, but we engage the struggle and we encourage each other. It hurts. It's hard. But here's the good news. God gives grace to the humble. Whatever your battle or your struggle or your war is inside, God says, I'll give you strength. And so really, commit to submit becomes a faith issue. Okay, God, if I do it your way, if I don't fight and quarrel to get what I want, are you going to make it okay? Here's what James says. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And He will lift you up. And so ultimately, we trust the gift of lift. We in faith say, if I stay in rank, God will lift me up. He will come through. He will meet my needs. He will fight my battles. And here's what's beautiful. We come to realize that life with God is what we always really wanted. That all these other wants... They were simply signs pointing to the deepest need of all. To have God fill our lives. You submit yourself to God. And you trust that in the battle that matters most, you won't lose. 
Now, let me illustrate this with one of my faith heroes. Some of you were old enough to remember a movie of the 1980s called Chariots of Fire, the story of Eric Little. Great movie, but it only told half the story. Eric was a son of missionaries in China. He and his brother, when they were old enough, were sent back to England to go to school. And there it was discovered that Eric was quite the athlete, a rugby player and especially a runner. By the time that the 1924 Olympic Games are about to begin in Paris, he's asked to represent England and especially the 100-yard dash. If you saw the movie, you know, Eric learned the race would be on Sunday. He didn't believe Sunday was a day for games. It was a day for worship and he wouldn't run. Instead, he was entered into the 400-meter run, which is not a race he had prepared for. He goes to the line. An American gives him a slip of paper from 1 Samuel 23. Those who honor me, I will honor. He holds that slip of paper and sets a world record. Brings the gold home. He's a national hero. And the movie ends. But the rest of the story is even better. The very next year, Eric Little goes to China. It was a hard place to serve. Great poverty, great political unrest with the communists and the nationalists constantly uh, ransacking and murdering. And the threat of the growing Japanese empire. So dangerous, in fact, that finally he sent his wife, his pregnant wife, and his two daughters back home. But Eric stayed because his brother was a medical doctor And was not doing well physically. And he needed to return. And someone needed to stay. And run the mission. Eric stayed. The Japanese invaded. He was one of 1800 people kept in an internment camp. Where he became the moral and spiritual leader of all the inmates and prisoners. When the games were held in Beijing in 2008. The Chinese government revealed a piece of the story. That no one, even Eric's family, had heard before. It was revealed that Winston Churchill had worked out an arrangement with the Japanese government for a prisoner exchange to bring Eric, the national hero, home. And Eric, when he learned about it, gave his place to a pregnant woman in camp who needed better care. He never left camp. He never met his third daughter. He died in February of 1945. And those who were by his bed said his last words were, It's all surrender. His life was so much bigger than a race. His life was about running a better race. And he stayed in rank. You're tired of the fighting and the fussing? There's a way. There's a way to peace. It's called unconditional surrender. It's a hard verb to add. But you can. Because God gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Father, I I just know based on the first two services, this uh, message today is striking a chord with some people. People who are tired of the tension and the quarreling and the fighting and the fussing. People who are tired of the junk inside. But God, this is hard. 
in a world where everything around us trains us to fight for ourselves and to get what we want. This is, this is such a countercultural way to live. But Jesus modeled it so well. And so my prayer right now, God, as we wrestle with what we want, would you change what we want? Would you help us want to be like Jesus more than anything else? So that we intentionally, willfully, and joyfully submit for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please stand. If you're on our prayer teams, would you please take your places upstairs and down? We offer a beautiful gift every week when we meet. We offer the gift of prayer. We offer the gift of baptism. But to get the gift, you must humble yourself. So this is your moment right now to submit and come close to God.